All right, if you have a Bible, the book of James, there are times when uh, you spend an hour teaching, and then when the hour of teaching is over, and you realize that your mic got turned off halfway through it, so that means you lost all of that, you had to delete all of it, and then you realize, um, well, maybe that's because that lesson was obviously for me, considering we talked about trials and patience and endurance and how that all works to to get us to the place we're supposed to be spiritually and so because all I can think about right now is I just spent an hour and it's gone it got deleted it's no more it's it, it's it's it uh, and so now I'm just frustrated so we're gonna have to try to I gotta try to put together I can't just I can't just ignore what we did um, because I got to kind of repeat some of it. So I got to try to take what I was going to do the first hour, I was going to do the second hour, put them together to create something unique so that the people who are here for the first hour don't go, we have already heard this. And the people in the second hour are not like, I don't know what just happened. And, and so it's all there. And for the people who are listening online, who are texting going, hey, what happened to the mic? They can at least, I got to bring that to some kind of conclusion for them. So now I've got to try to put all this together and try to do so in the next 45 minutes to an hour. So I don't know how this is all going to work, but I hope you're ready. Okay, so for the last week, we introduced the new Bible study exercise uh, for the next seven weeks, and that is on the subject of temptation. The first week's passage was James chapter 1. That's what we've been working on all week. This is supposed to be hour number 7, meaning that when you arrived here, five hours had already been taught prior to even getting here, and of course had been uh, waiting online for everyone to listen to, to try to get everyone on the same page. That doesn't always work, but it's all been there, so my job here is to try to get you all caught up, get us all on the same page, so that we can move forward and get as much out of this. Typically, when you hear sermons on temptation, they follow a very basic, kind. Of, there's almost a formula. Sometimes I feel like I don't get the memos, but uh, you, if you pick the topic and you listen to plenty of sermons, you almost know, oh, that's how they're going to handle it. That's how they're going to handle it. That's how they're going to handle it. And you know how I feel about that. I don't like it at all because I'm not going to handle it the way everyone else handles it because I think in some cases it's like I don't know if we're really doing actually any work on the subject. If all we're going to do is copy what everyone else is doing, what's the point, right? What's the point? So we have to constantly be working on the text. So let's go back to James chapter 1 and let me remind you of kind of where we have been, all right? James chapter 1, let's start in verse 2, because this really became the, the key verse for this week, and it really was the key verse again for the uh, first hour. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, before we look at anything else in that verse, we have to deal with the word temptation. If we look up the Greek word, the Greek word for temptation has three distinct concepts, meanings, right? And those three things are, everyone who was here in the first hour and everyone who's listened to all the things online, what are those three parts? An enticement to evil, right? The word temptation here, remember there's three parts, has an enticement to evil, number two, trial, number three, a test. So temptation is an enticement or evil, an enticement to evil, or a trial that moves us in thought, word, desire, feeling, 
action to do that which is contrary to God's word in order to test what we really are internally, who we really are internally. So a temptation is an enticement to evil and a trial. I cannot stress this. And a trial, right? Which gets us in thought, word, feeling, desire, and action to do that which is contrary to God's word. And it doesn't in order to do what? To test what we really are on the inside. It serves as a test. Now that test is for whose benefit? It's for our benefits because it reveals something. But here's the problem. We as Christians don't think about temptation and trials the right way. We think about it in a very public school kind of way. And one of the things I despise about the educational system, the educational system is based on the concept of pass-fail. Right? You get a test, you get a grade. You either pass it or you fail it, right? And if you fail it, what are the things that come with failing the test? Humiliation, shame, some kind of drama, possible punishment, right? If you come home with the failing grade, punishment, grounding, could be whatever, right? Maybe you have to talk to someone in school. So that or, and then what? And someone said a ranking, right? Because you're either in the top 1% of your class, or you're in the bottom 1%. You're in the honor roll. You're not in the honor roll. You're valedictorian, salutatorian. Well, everyone else is not those things. So then school, whether you like it or not, becomes divided amongst the smart kids and the dumb kids, whether we like it or, or not. Because that's how the whole system is developed. And I hate it. I think the whole system should be burnt to the entire ground and start over. I can't stand that way. Because from a biblical, theological perspective, the test should not be viewed as pass or fail. The test is there to reveal what? What you know or don't know in order so that you can learn. It's not about punish, work harder. It should be, hey, I just showed you what you know or don't know. Remember, I've talked about some of my uh, bi- uh, professors in seminary or Bible college or wherever I was attending school at any given time would over and over and over and say, my, the purpose of school is to show you how stupid you are. Right? If you walk out of class not thinking you're stupid, then you're not learning anything. It, you've got, it, it's supposed to reveal. But all for us, it's pass, fail, pass, fail, pass, smart, dumb. It's, that's not the way we should look at it. Now, I'm not saying that we celebrate the failure, but at the same time, we do celebrate the failure because the failure demonstrates, when I don't know this. So I got to do, I got to work. I got to, I got to try to try to improve it. That's the way it looks. So we, because we so think this way, we come into Christianity and we don't understand temptation the right way. And because we don't understand temptation the right way, we create all kinds of problems. Because in Christianity, everything is pass or fail. Pass or fail, right? You've got the people who don't, who pass the test and look at them, they're godly, right? And then everyone else, you've got the sinners who fail the test, right? Now, and then we even minimize the pass and fail to what? To an external action and ignore that just because the people are on the other side of the room, 
who thinks they passed the test, they may have failed the test 50 times internally, but we just to make an excuse for them because it wasn't an external action. The whole thing is completely messed up. And James here is trying to fix this. And so what many translators do, I believe, is a major problem. They want to take the word here in James 1, 3, or 1, 2, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, and they want to simply translate that as a trial and remove the enticement from evil. And we cannot do that. The, temp, the word here impl- includes all three things. Enticement to evil, trial, and the test. It's all there. We count it all joy as Christians because whether it's a trial or whether it's an enticement to evil, it's revealing something. It's testing something. It's demonstrating how we're not thinking right speaking right, feeling right, desiring right, or doing right. And then we can, we can then do what's necessary. That includes a trial. Every trial is an enticement to evil, no matter how big or how small it is, right? You can get, you can get in the car and one little thing can go wrong, quote unquote, a trial, right? One little thing, and next thing you know, you're doing what? You're saying that which is not right with God, God's word. You're thinking, you're feeling, you're desiring that which is contrary to God's word. You may even be acting. You may be crawling over the backseat to get to the kids, right? Whatever the case may be, that's all bad. Does that make sense? So we have to understand temptation in a much more biblical way. We have to understand it in a much more biblical way. That's what we've been trying to establish. But in James 1, there are two sets of progressions. And I want you to see these sets of progressions. We talked about them in the first hour. We're going to try to, you know, we're going to have to do a little bit of, yeah, there's nothing I can really do here except just do what I can, all right? James chapter 1, please note, the first progression, we are going to put, I'm not going to go back and explain it how we explained it in the first hour, but we're going to go from two through six as the first progression. Please note, my brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, right? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire wanting Nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. All right, now stop right here. Please note, though, you can see the language of progression. Know this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Patience let have her perfect work that, it, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. There is a progression here. Does everybody see it? All right, I can't articulate everything about it. Well, we'll go through it in just a second. The second progression is in James 1, starting at verse 14. All right, look at, or we'll, look at, we'll go to verse 15 just so that you can see the progression. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth Sin, and sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. All right, there's a progression. There are two progressions. James chapter 1 is a chapter of two progressions. 
Both progressions deal with which subject? Temptation. Not the way most preachers preach it. Most say the first progression deals with trials. Garbage. It deals with trials and temptation because the Greek word for temptation includes trial, enticement, and test. The second progression deals with temptation, which involves trials and testing. All of them are both there. Does that make sense? If we forget that, it all falls apart. So we've worked on kind of a definition of temptation. Let me state it again. A temptation is an enticement or evil or a trial that gets us in thought, word, desire, feeling, or action to do that which is contrary to God's word. What is the purpose? To test, to see what we really are where? Inside, to see who we really are. And so that's the that's the. Uh, definition, those are the two progressions. Now, let's go through the first progression quickly. Let's go through the first progression quickly. We spent uh, all morning uh, working on this in the first hour. So let's, I'm not going to go back and try to explain everything. Let me just try to articulate it this way. The first progression, I want you to write down these words. Are ready? Because we, 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 we went back and forth in the first hour trying to determine exactly which order to put this, but we think this is the right way to do so. Here we go. Number one, temptation. That's step number one in the progression, temptation. And you can put temptation slash trial, correct? All right? So whether it's an enticement to evil, whether it's a trial, that's the first thing. Everybody got that? The second thing is the knowing. Let me show you why we got the order this way. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Very next word in verse 3, knowing. So that we have the temptation and the trial. And every life, what will there be a constant amount of? Enticements to evil and trials. There's always something trying to get you to do that, which is contrary to God's word. And there's always trials, difficulties. Sometimes they can be massive trials. Beyond our comprehension, how big they can be. Sometimes they can be small. I mean, uh, last night, I think it was Alabama, a sweet 16 birthday party, 20 people shot. I think five teenagers killed. Right? I mean, that's a trial for some people today, right? Other trials are much smaller. Yes. Much smaller. But whether they're big or whether they're small, they impact us greatly. Yes? So we, everyone knows life is going to be filled with enticements and trials. But we have to, what's the verse say? We got to know something. We got to know something. And here's what we have to know. We have to know that the enticement to evil and the trial is beneficial. It's a positive thing. It's not a negative thing. And let me make it very clear. It's a negative thing. Everybody listen to this. Whether you pass or fail. We have a view that it's only positive if we pass. That's not true. So we get the temptation. We got to know something. We got to know it's positive. In fact, we have to know it in such a way that we count it all joy, right? We count it all joy. Now, what do we have to know? That the trying of your faith worketh patience. The trying of the faith worketh patience. Now, please note, 
Patience here means what? We covered it in the first hour. Well, we're not going to look up the Greek word now. Endurance. Endurance. Steadfastness, right? It, it develops it. How do you get the endurance? Look at the verse. Look at the verse. It's open book. The trying of your faith. You don't get the endurance without the trying of your faith. Does that make sense? If you want the endurance, the trying of faith. Please note, the trying of your faith includes what two things? Enticement to evil and trial. That's what builds the endurance. It doesn't mean that you only get the endurance if you pass. It's the trying. It's the test. And guess what happens? Whenever you're trying to develop endurance in any sport, in anything, what is, going, what is there going to be? There's going to be pain, but there's going to be pass and failure, right? The first time you're like, okay, I'm going to accomplish this. You're not, you, the first time you may not get there. So you've got to go through it over and over and over until you build up the endurance. It's the trying that builds up the endurance. We have this weird idea in Christianity that the temptation comes and you only get the endurance if you pass it. Pass or fail, it's building the endurance because you're learning, you're growing, you're figuring it out, all right? Now, please note what happens next. That the trying of your faith, right, worketh patience, builds the endurance, and then this patience, if you let it have its perfect work, if we, it, once it completes its perfect work, what do you end up with? that you may be perfect, entire, wanting nothing. So we have the word temptation. We have knowing. The trying of your faith worketh patience. And then it works its perfect work. And then we get what? Perfection. And that perfection is what? Spiritual maturity. We are complete, lacking nothing. All right? Now, I want you to hear this. If you want spiritual maturity... I, I cannot, I want everyone, if you don't get anything else from today, I want you to get this down. If you want spiritual maturity in your life, how do you obtain it? We always say you obtain it by a small group, going to church, having some Christian friends, doing a morning devotional, reading your Bible. None of that's mentioned there. If you want spiritual perfection, how do you get there? The trying of your faith, which builds endurance. Once that endurance, and how do you keep the endurance up? More enticement to evil and more trials, right? If I build up my endurance running a mile and then I stop for two years, next time I go to run that mile, Probably going to struggle. Probably going to have to stop and do that kind of fast walk kind of thing, right? You're like, okay, walk fast, walk fast, right? Okay, got to keep my time up, okay, right? Like, uh, like when I was in the military, I always did it the wrong way, right? Because we're supposed to go to you know, physical training three times a week, and I never went. I was always hanging out with the doctors, eating donuts, watching everyone run, going, man, they're all dumb, right? And then when it got time for my test, I was like, oh, boy, okay. All right, got to pass the test. And all I can remember, if I got a 90 above my test, got a three-day pass. 
So guess what? I always made that 90 because I got that three-day pass. I almost died, but I would do my push-ups, could do my crunch. I would run the, I made it, but it wasn't the correct way, okay? Okay, because it got harder and harder and harder because I would not do what? The very things they told me to do to build up the endurance. I just like, I, I, sometimes, I, you know, I may be throwing up for 30 minutes after, but I got done because I wanted my three-day pass. I didn't want to, but I wasn't going to do what they told me to do. Right? So I didn't really have the endurance. I was just trying to struggle through it. I was just trying to survive. But if I would have just done the three times a week training, guess how the test would have been? I probably wouldn't have been laying on the ground puking, right? I would have probably been like, I'm doing pretty good. Okay? So I didn't build the endurance. So guess what? If you want to be, I want you to just, this goes against every spiritual maturity handbook that you'll get within Christianity. Right? It's always like, do you want to become spiritually mature? Well, you got to join one of our small groups. You got to go to fellowships. You got to have a potluck. Got to hang out with some Christian friends. Need an accountability partner. Need a, a quiet time every day. This says, how do you do it? Okay. It first starts with the reality. What's the reality of life? Enticement to evil and trials. That's going to happen in every life, Christian or non Christian. As Christians, we have to know something. What do we know? That there's pr- something good is coming from it. So we look at it and we count it all. We count it all joy. Not because of the suffering, but because we know what it is doing for us spiritually. And then we understand that the trying of the faith worketh patience. The trying of the faith builds the endurance. Once the endurance is there, we let that endurance have its perfect work. What is ultimately complete? We are made complete. We are made spiritually mature. How do we maintain that maturity? Through more trial and more temptation. That's how we maintain it. That's the first progression. Now, I know it's, for some of you, you're like, I know we've already just spent an hour listening to this. I understand, but... I'm going through the trial having to do this a second time. And it's supposed to make me better up, but right now I just want to go smash everything. That's what I want to do. But see, I'm, I'm godly, so I'm not going to do that in front of you. I'll wait till I get home, and then I'll just rant and rave for all afternoon, okay? But that's besides the point, right? Okay? Right now I just have to look spiritual and sound spiritual, okay? I don't have, I, and then I can, you know, not have to pretend later. Okay, obviously, yes, that's how it works. Now, here's the question that we did not get a chance to fix, Verse 4 seems to end the progression, but how do we understand verse 5, 6, 7, and 8? How do we understand 5, 6, 7, and 8 in connection to that first progression? Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I want to at least, because I would, be, I would not be doing a good job as a pastor if we don't at least bring up hermeneutical issues, right? All right, so how do we deal with that? Do we separate five, six, seven, and eight, and we just forget the progression? The progression kind of is just its own thing, and then the rest of the verses have no connection to the progression. I think the rest of the verses have some connection to the progression. At least I'm thinking that. You may be able to change my mind, all right? What's the first thing after the progression? What is talked about? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Now let's stop right here. First thing we need to understand is clear. Does anybody know when the book of James was written? 
It's, the, I think, maybe the earliest. Yeah, between 45 and 49 AD. It's one of the earliest New Testament books. That puts it even before the Didache. All right, that's early. The Didache is between 50 and 60. That's 40 and 49. Who's the primary audience? Look at verse 1. The Jews, right? The 12 tribes. I mean, that's, not, that's the 12 tribes of Israel, the literal Israel. What's not happened yet? It's 40 to 40, 40, 45 to 49 AD. Jerusalem is still standing. The temple is still standing. Not, 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 a lot of, and this, this creates lots of issues here, right? Because a lot of people will look at James and go, well, man, it's so, it seems so works-based. Well, what hasn't happened yet? Well, Judaism has not even been destroyed. You still don't. When has Romans written? <clears throat> when has Romans written? Y'all, got, y'all can use every tool you want. Google, ask a friend, call a friend, Bible dictionary. Sarah? <laughs> Sarah? <laughs> now, yeah, we won't, we won't ask Siri. We'll ask Sarah, Okay. <laughs> Okay, that comes after. That comes after. Now, I just, I, I just, I'm just throwing this out there as an extra for, this is just a bonus, right? Where this is not about what we're really talking about, but I just want you to consider this. Don't we always have a problem when we read Romans and we read James? We're, we're so confused, right? Well, I don't know. How, I don't, you can make of that what you want. James is written... 10 years, maybe 15 years before Romans is even written. I, I don't know how you want to... Sometimes we talk about progressive revelation. Does anybody know what that means in the, theological terms? That revelation was progressive. Not everyone at every time knew everything. So they, they, this is very much a Jewish concept. Now, why is it being written to the Jews? Look at James 1.1. 1, 1. They've been dispersed. Why were they being dispersed? They're Jewish Christians, right? The Jews are already, have already been facing problems going all the way back to the Babylonian captivity, Assyrians. They now got Rome, Rome, Romans over them. So they, the Jews in general had been dispersed, yes? Now you add that they are a Jew and they are a Christian. Now, not only because they're Jewish, they have problems, they now have problems from other Jews. So they are suffering, facing trials. And trials are an enticement to evil. See why he starts right here? Hey, count it all joy. That's the last thing you want to hear. Oh, wait, I'm being persecuted. People are being killed. I've lost my business. I mean, count it all joy. Wait, it's not saying count it all joy from a human perspective. Count it all joy from what perspective? From this progression. This progression. And so right after this progression, what is they, then what does he talk about? Lacking wisdom. Now, let's make it very clear. We're 45 to 49 AD. What is not even close to complete yet? So God is still speaking and revealing himself in 
different ways, right? Go read the book of Acts. Yes? Right? You got tongues happening. You got all kinds of things. Prophecies being given. You have a lot of things happening yet. Correct? So here, they're being told, ask God for wisdom. Why would they need wisdom? Why would they need wisdom in the context that I've just provided for you? Well, they're not going to understand that progression without wisdom. They need a God. An earthly wisdom would say what? What would an earthly wisdom say about trials and enticements to evil that's different than that progression that we just studied? You would probably say, first of all, this is garbage. Forget Christianity, right? Right? I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back either to the temple or maybe I'll just become a Roman, right? I mean, forget this trash, right? And and. I mean, come on, from an earthly perspective, how are you going to think about God? Okay, well, I don't know how you would think about God. I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm the unspiritual one here, because I've had some of these thoughts in my life. Uh, God, did you move out? Did you die? Did you quit? Did you retire? Because I don't know where you are, because I need your help! Right? Ever, ever felt like, maybe I'm the only one ever felt that way, Right? Okay? Don't understand. Correct? Now, what, what I love here is it that, hey, just pray and all your trials are going to go away. Isn't that fascinating? Hey, it's not even about work through it. It's about you need to understand this whole system has a purpose. The purpose is your spiritual maturity now i don't know about you i need i need spiritual wisdom because if i look at it from an earthly perspective you know about how much i care about my spiritual maturity oh come on don't say oh can't believe how much do you care about your spiritual maturity come on if you had to choose spiritual maturity is on this side here's spiritual maturity and over here is just a great life Wonderful, money, travel, obedient kids, wonderful marriage, full of passion and romance, right? Physical beauty, physical strength. Which, which, which one do you want? Call now. Which one are you going to call for? Okay, oh, you're going to go spiritual maturity? Okay, well, Bobby, I guess, is a liar. Okay, all right. Okay, okay. So clearly, you know, that, that, I think we're all going to want this, right? Oh, come on, that's what we want. Let's not pretend. Okay, that's what we want. We want all of this. And he comes along and says, count it all joy. Because you can get spiritual maturity right now. How do I get it? <laughs> Look at your life. Is it trash? Is it garbage? Do you feel like your life's a dumpster fire? Well, congratulations. That's the first step to spiritual maturity. Okay, well, guess what I'm going to need for that to work? I'm going to need a spiritual wisdom. Because spiritual wisdom will look and say, from a spiritual, for using spiritual wisdom, what's more important? spiritual maturity than all of this other stuff. Why? Because spiritual wisdom would say all of this stuff is 
passing away, fading, no matter how good it is, it's going to be gone. That which is connected to God will last forever. So you can see why wisdom would come into play here, yes? All right? But then he says, if you ask, you know, ask for wisdom. Now, of course, well, for us, how do we obtain wisdom? We don't get it by asking. We get it by seeking here, right? Okay. Now, a lot of people think, oh, no, if I just ask, God's going to give me wisdom. It doesn't work that way. Just like, I mean, you know, it's like, well, the Holy Spirit will lead me into all truth. Go to any seminary and see how well people do on their tests. A lot of people fail their test in seminary and Bible college and Bible Institute. Because guess what? Praying for it is not going to matter. I, I remember I worked at Pearson where people took tests for all kinds of things and I monitored the test, whether it was nursing, whatever, whatever medical tests they were taking. Sometimes there were other kinds of tests. I just remember all the medical tests. And lots of times people would go in there and sometimes they would write Philippians 4.13 on the top of their page or they would pray, someone do this, someone make the sign of the cross and then they'd come out and fail the test. I'm like, well, obviously none of that praying worked because guess how you pass the test? Study. Well, guess if you want biblical wisdom, you don't get it by praying. Now, in their case, God was revealing things because Scripture wasn't complete. So that would have been, but for us, we, we prayed, thank you, God, for your word. Now, let me study your word because that's where I'm going to obtain a spiritual wisdom. Does that make sense? All right. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is, wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Now, the main thing here is, the, the point is, as I'm going through the trial, I, the prayer part is not so much that the trial will go away. The prayer part is that I'm focusing on God in the midst of the trial because what am I focusing on? The spiritual maturity that's going to come from it. So I am praying in the midst of it, believing that God is doing what is revealed right here, even though I don't feel it and I don't see it. Right? I mean, come on, what would you, I, I can't speak for everyone. What would you prefer at two o'clock in the morning, right? No enticement to evil or enticement to evil. What would you prefer? Like if you're, if you're David, what do you prefer? To walk out on the roof and see a beautiful sunrise or, or sunset or to see, oh, she's down there taking a bath. What would you prefer? Well, spiritual wisdom would say you would prefer to just see the sunset because the other creates... A temptation. And then he, whatever, whatever was in the sky that night, he didn't see what was in the sky. He saw her. And the next thing you know, he desired, and that's going to go to the next progression. That's going to go to the next progression. He, he ends up in all kinds of trouble, right? Commits all kinds of horrible sin. God doesn't always step in and take away the, the, the enticement. So our prayer is not necessarily that God's going to stop the trial, fix the trial, or not ever bring the temptation. It's that we're praying that God will do the work that he has already declared he will do through it. And whether we pass or fail from a Christian perspective, that's irrelevant. I don't care what Christians can talk, gossip, slander. I don't, I'm so sick of hearing what Christians have to say 90% of the time anyway. They can talk all the trash they want about someone. What we should do is like, hey, 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 that person fell. Okay, that's okay, that's okay. Let's, let's get them back up. 
because this is a good thing because it shows where they are spiritually and that we can move. And typically, whenever you see someone falling or who has failed, you better be very careful because you probably failed them the same way. And at least in your, let's go through those, thought, word, desire, feeling, and action, all right? That we all, we are going to fail in one of those areas. But we have to see... We have to see this. And it says, what does it say next about the double-minded man? We can't be double-minded. What does it mean to be double-minded? Well, because how are we somehow double-minded in this whole thing? Because sometimes we see, God, thank you for your wisdom. Lord, bless this trial. Bless this temptation. So it will, do, it will build endurance. Endurance will have its perfect work. And when it's complete, I will be spiritually mature, lacking nothing. And sometimes that's what we want. And five seconds later, we're like, God, could you get rid of the trial? Could you get rid of the temptation? Could you make it all go away? Put me on, in, you know, on a Caribbean island with everything perfect because I'm sick of suffering. And we don't even care if the work has even started. We just want it fixed. And then not only do we want it fixed, we get bitter and we get upset and we get irritated. That's how we're double-minded. Is anybody here double-minded like that? Sometimes I want the spiritual maturity. Sometimes I'm like, God, I don't care about spiritual maturity. I don't care if I'm ever spiritually mature. I just want life to go better than it is. So I see all of this as really connected to it. But the progression, everyone got that progression. Does everyone have that progression down? All right. How does the progression work? Let's go through this. First, what happens? Temptation and trial, right? That's our our enticement and trial. We're going to use those words, right? Because temptation includes both. Everybody got that? Everyone's going to face those. Everybody understand that? Even if you're not a Christian, you're going to face those two things because whatever moral system you hold to, there's always going to be something trying to pull you away from your own mor- morality, right? So everyone's going to face this. For the Christian, we step in and we know something. What do we know? That all of this is doing something good. So we count it all joy, right? We know. And what do we know? That the trying of our faith produces endurance. How do we get that endurance? The trying of the faith. How do we maintain that endurance? The trying of the faith. What is involved in the trying of the faith? Enticement to evil and trials. Once that endurance is there, what will it produce? Spiritual maturity. How do we get to spiritual maturity? Enticement to evil and trial. And I'm going to state this again. I think it's 100% wrong to say the only way we get there is by passing the test. We get there through the failing, through through the testing, through the failing, and through the passing. All three are involved. The testing, whether I pass or fail, immediately shows what's going on inside, right? Even before I say a word, right? If I get home today and one thing goes wrong, one, one little irritation, or like the last hour where I lost an entire hour of teaching, right? Okay, I haven't broken anything. I haven't screamed. I haven't said anything. Okay? But inside, I'm like, no! It can't keep messing up. 
Spiritually, I'm like, hey, open up your Bibles to James chapter 1. Okay? I, I'm learning a spiritual lesson. I can make it sound all spiritual, and you're like, oh, look at the pastor. He's so spiritual. But why play the game? Inside, I'm ticked off. Now, but that, that doesn't mean I... See, you, you can go, he's failing the test. He's trash. Need to go find a better church. You're just going to go find a better actor. Oh, nobody like that. Sorry, because I don't care who's preaching. They're just, they're, they've got the same sin nature I have. They may respond to that trial different than I do, but there's going to be others that they're not doing so good with because we're all sinners, right? Everybody got it? All right, so the thing is, is as soon as I feel it, that's a, I count it all joy because it's showing me, man, I still got a long ways to go. I still got a long ways to go. Now, I would prefer that God would have worked a situation where the mic didn't get turned off. Wouldn't that have been great? Obviously, he didn't care to stop that from occurring, did he? In fact, you could argue it was decreed from before the foundations of the world that the mic would get turned off on this April, what, 15th, 16th, whatever day it is. Okay. Right? And, and so I got to deal with it. Now, what do, I, what do I want? I want my first hour back. What do I get? I don't get that. So God, what do I have to rely on? Okay, well, trying produces patience. Patience then leads to spiritual maturity. Will I be more spiritually mature the next time the mic goes out? Probably not. Do I want to pretend that I will be? Yes. But hopefully it will get me one step closer. Maybe. Maybe. Right? But I have to have spiritual wisdom to see that. Does that make sense? All right. Progression number two. There's much more here that we can look at. Progression number two. Now, I don't, uh, again, I've been saying this all week, and I'm going to continue to say this. A lot of people have emailed me. I don't know what, look, people, I don't know what the answer is to verse 13. I have no clue what the answer is to James 1.13, that God is not the one that tempts us. We could spend 500 years trying to figure that out. I've read every little Christian garbage answer, and they're all garbage answers, because there's not a good answer. Why is there not a good answer? God created whom? Satan. He knew Satan was going to fall. When Satan fell, did he? No. In fact, he let him come to earth. Nine days, he let him come to earth. He let him go into the garden to tempt Eve. God could have stopped it at any point. So I know it gets into a big philosophical thing about primary cause and secondary cause. If God uses a secondary cause, then God's not the cause. It, to me, it's a lot, look, it's complicated, but I don't want to spend our time on that. The, the, I want to look at the progression here. Here's the progression. Everybody ready? But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it bringeth forth, uh, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. All right, now let's start right here. Let's go through this progression. Where does this progression start? All right, every man is tempted. We're right back to temptation. Where did the first progression start? Temptation. Now, everyone wants to go back to that first progression and say that's just a trial. That's not an enticement to evil. We reject that, right? It's both. Guess what? This is the same thing. This goes with both. 
both concepts. It's just going to go in a little bit different direction, right? The other one is going to go with the part of temptation that's more dealing with what you're experiencing, right? You could call a trial, but that trial still serves as an enticement to evil. Everyone understands that, right? This one is going to go more with the enticement of evil, but they're still both temptations. That's what I want us to understand. So we have let every man is tempted. Every man is tempted. Everybody see that? Every man is tempted. Now, here's the issue. This progression is not is going to focus on the temptation. This is focusing on the enticement to evil. It's even focusing on our response to a trial. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust. So the first thing in this progression is temptation, and the second is own lust. I cannot stress this enough, all right? The source of all temptation begins where? It is an inside thing, not an outside thing. Christians for 2,000 years have been so bothered by the outside thing. And I don't know why we're so preoccupied with the outside thing. Christians want to ban things. Christians want to censor things. Christians created cancel culture. Christians have always banned, stop, don't look, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. And it's always like the external, the external. It's either it's Hollywood, it's Netflix, it's music. It's always something else outside of us. The issue has always been inside of us. Cain killed his brother before rock and roll. Cain killed his brother before TikTok. Cain killed his brother before a video game. Why? Because of a fallen nature. The issue is inside of us. Any extra... Am I, am I saying that external things cannot have an impact? They do have an impact. But they only have an impact because of what's inside of me. Right? Someone could... One of the adults, one of the teenagers, I'm not going to... I'm not going to use a stereotype of age, but it could be a, an adult or it could be a, a teenager. And afterwards, like, hey, pastor, come here. And I come around the bed like, hey, I got some meth, okay? I got some heroin. Here's the spoon. Here's the candle. Here's, let's, let's do it. Let's shoot up some heroin. Guess how much uh, impact that would have on me? None. Zero. There's nothing inside of me that has any I don't want to take, one, I don't want to shoot a needle in my arm, all right? So I'm not taking heroin that way, okay? I'm not, I'm not taking anything any other way. I don't, I don't want the crack pipe. I don't want any of it because I have no desire for it. It has no impact on me. And if someone was to say, ooh, you're not going to fit in with us, you know how peer pressure impacts me. It's never impacted me, right? Where in, in school, whatever the peer, if the peer pressure was to do A, guess what I was doing? I was doing B just to prove that peer pressure 
was not going to control me. So peer pressure never had any power on me. I could care less, right? You say, you can't wear this to school because people are going to make fun of you. I would wear it. I came to school one time wearing a bathrobe. Just to prove a point. <laughs> okay? Just to pr- and then the next day I came in a three-piece suit. Just to prove a point. Right? Because you're not going to tell me how I'm going to dress. There's no way you're going to tell me. Like, the, absolutely, you will not tell me. And if you said, those shoes are horrible, I'm buying three pairs just to make sure you see it. Right? So guess what? Peer pressure had no power on me. But guess what? Other things did. Does that make sense? So the issue is what's inside of us. Inside of us. Where does temptation begin? When we're drawn away by our own lust. It starts inside. It starts inside. Now, we count that all joy as well, right? We count it all joy, not because it's there. We count it all joy because now whatever happens here is going to reveal what we are. Everything that happens is going to reveal that. That's the problem. But Christians want to project the problem where? Onto everyone else. We want to project the problem on other people, on culture. The issue is inside of me. If it's not me, then if you offer something that my sinful nature doesn't desire, how much impact does it have on me? None. And then what do we do? Pat ourselves on the back that we're so godly because I don't have Bobby's problems. But I have my own problems. But I'll forget my own problems, right? And then blame someone else for my problems when I'm the problem, right? So far, so good. So we have temptation. We have our own lust. And then what happens? Now, we're drawn away of his own lust. Please note, we're drawn away by our own lust. We're lured away by our own lust. Our own lust does what? Pulls us this way, right? Pulls us away from God. It pulls us away from everything, okay? And then what happens? It conceived, right? Or it conceives. See it? Well, every man is, uh, is tempted when he is drawn away from his own life and enticed. Let's not forget enticed, right? We're enticed. Why are we enticed? It's our own lust. And we're enticed by our own lust. Remember the enticement? I think if we, if we remember the Greek word there, it doesn't refer to like a bait, right? Like baiting something, right? Now, I am, why am I enticed? The, the, the thing I'm being enticed by is because of what's in me. Does that make sense? Right? The bait has no power. If, I don't, if, I, if I'm trying to fish and I put down the wrong bait, what do the fish do? They're going to swim right on by. It's got to be something that they want. What we have a tendency to do is whoever's putting the bait down, we blame them. How dare Hollywood show me that? The issue is inside of you. When people scream, you protest too much because you're screaming what? 
You're screaming what's inside of you. That's what you're screaming about. I'll never forget when I was in the military, uh, some, a Christian man that I know, one day he was driving to work and they put up a new billboard. And I've told this story a million times. And the billboard was a, a woman in a bikini. Well, he comes in and he's furious and he's mad. He can't believe they put up a billboard that way. And he wanted to find out who it was. They could be taken down. He was outraged. Yeah. Come to find out, you know why he was so outraged? Because he had an issue with things like pornography. And he saw it and he immediately, what? Well, and he was mad. So he wanted to control. Because what he was screaming at was not, he wasn't screaming at the sign. He was screaming, all he was revealing was, what was inside of him? Sometimes Christians scream too loud and you're kind of like, I know what your problem is. I know what your issue is. It's a user. It's me. Now, that, that was enticing to him. And I'm sorry that that was enticing to him. But the issue is he can't fight the billboard. He's got to fight the lust that's inside. It's inside of me. That's the issue. Correct? All right, and then what happens after we are enticed? The lust conceives. It conceives. What does that mean? It goes from a lust to an action. Something begins to take place. It begins to produce something. Now something, now we've gone beyond the desire to what? We're doing something. And then guess what that brings? Then it gives forth, forth sin and sin, feeling desire. You got that? Because right. I want to make sure we understand. From a biblical standpoint, we don't ever have to even get to the action, do we? Right? In other words, Cain could have been a murderer without ever killing his brother. That's our view from a biblical standpoint, right? Christians forget this all the time, right? So you can pick up the rock going, I can't believe, did you hear what pastor so-and-so did? Throw the rock. Let's gossip. Let's slander. Yeah, you may want to be very careful because you may have committed the same act. Now, congratulations that you didn't commit the act. But from a theological standpoint, from a godly standpoint, you're just as guilty. And Christians forget that all the time. We, we, we seem to just completely overlook that. So I think the temptation and the lust is enticed and then it's conceived and that's when you cross the line from just a temptation to a sin. Like just being tempted is not a sin. Everybody understands that? But it's a very, very close line, is it not? Because as soon as you feel that temptation, you immediately know what? Well, I have a lust for it. Right? Now, because some temptations, they just kind of like, whatever, okay? Like I said, if someone offered me drugs, like, whatever, I don't care. Like, you know, no big deal. Other things, I'd be like, ooh, okay, well, I, gotta, I gotta go, I gotta go. Now, even though I, and now, if, I, I may have stopped it right there. Now, if I go, and then five hours later, it's now conceived to a full-blown up here, then I may have committed the act already. Does that, does that make sense? So there's a fine line there. Now, Please note, the temptation, lust, conceived, sin, and then sin brings forth death. It brings forth death. Brings forth death. That's the progression. Now, what is the key to the first progression? 
What do you think the key is to the first progression that we looked at? What do you think the key is? Knowing. Our, our way of understanding it, right? We got to know. We, we know and count it all joy because we've got to see, we've got to have the wisdom to understand that that entire process is producing spiritual maturity. What do you think the key is to the second progression? Oh, okay, Mary says she thinks it's knowing. Okay, why do you think that, Mary? Okay, if you know what? Okay. Okay, well, I'm going to argue that you know it's your own lust, that you got to know where it's coming from. Where is it coming from? Within, within, you got to know it's coming from within. That's what you have to know. Like you got to know that, wait a minute, this entire process is producing something, my my spiritual maturity. So I've got to look at it from that perspective. Because the second I stop looking at it from that perspective, then what do I, what will I want? If I don't look at the first progression from a spiritual perspective, what will I want? What will I desire more if I don't see it as a a, a path to spiritual maturity? If I don't see it the right way, I will just want relief. Right? I mean, that's what I want. So I got to have spiritual wisdom to know, wait, 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 wait. This is the path to spiritual maturity. So I'm going to count it all joy, not for the suffering, but for what it produces. Now, for the second one, what do I have to know? I got to know that the issue is where? In me. I got to know that it is in me. Now, what's weird is what follows that progression. Well, how do we understand this? I don't know how to fix fit 16 and 18 into this. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Okay, don't err. Is he, is he just changed? Is this just a massive hard left turn where he just turned to a different subject? I don't know. But what does he want us to know? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I think the point is, is he's trying to draw... I, I, I cannot be dogmatic about this, but it seems like he's trying to draw a major correlation, right? In me is what? Lust. In God is what? Everything that comes from God is perfect. No shadow of truth. He is constant, consistent, godly, and he gives good gifts. In me... I don't even, what would I, what would I desire more? God's good gifts or my pleasure? Think, think about it. Eve, okay, does he just not say everything that comes from him is good and perfect? Right? Me, my, my lust, I'm confronted with this every day. Do I lust and desire for God's perfect gifts or do I lust and desire for my own self-satisfaction and gratification? 
Did not Eve face the same choice? Everything that came from God was what? Perfect and good. She could have had every tree. She could have had perfect fellowship with God. But what, where did she find herself? Looking at the one tree she couldn't have. And then what did she want? Now, she didn't even have the internal lust at this point, which is just bizarre that even without it, she still fails. But at that moment, lust was created because she desired it. And she desired that more than she desired God's perfect gift. See the court, see the contrast? What's inside of you? Lust. That lust is always for what? Self-gratification, self-exaltation, self, self, self. Compared to God, God's like, here's all this perfect stuff. And you're like, no, I'm going to go get what I want. I, I think there's a correlation there. Most preach it as it's not. But I don't see how you just, I don't see that James just drops this beautiful progression and then just goes, oh, forget it. I think he's drawing a contrast. Right? What do you desire? In both cases, think of it this way. In both cases, what's, our, what's, our, what's the big issue in both cases? Over here in the first progression, what's the big issue? Am I going to desire what trial and enticement of evil will ultimately produce? Or am I going to desire just the relief of it so that I can live the life that I want? The second one, what am I going to desire? My own lust or what is perfect that comes from God? And in both cases, what do we tip? What do we want in nature? I don't want spiritual maturity. I want relief, happiness, peace, comfort, security. That's what I want. I don't want to have to go through pain and suffering. Come on, give me a discipleship book and give me a small group. Let me go to someone's house, sit around in a semicircle, eat some snacks, sing a praise song, do a little Bible study where we all talk about our feelings and then say, ooh, I'm on my way to spiritual maturity. Nobody says amen to that, right? But that's what we want. I don't want, do you want the James system? I don't want that. So I need spiritual maturity to want that. In the second case, what am I confronted with? What do I want? The lust that is enticed that will conceive and bring forth sin and end up in death. Well, I forget the death. All I see is the lust. So I'm confronted with lust or the perfect gifts that come from God, that God is perfect. God's gifts are perfect. Do I want that or do I want my own lust? And what do I want over and over and over? My own lust. You see the two progressions? All right, we're going to have to stop. Yes, yeah, we definitely have to stop because Stacy's probably back there right now. Not desiring the spiritual maturity that's growing by teaching little kids, okay? And she probably is not uh, lusting after my death if I don't shut up, okay? So let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. Lord, we, uh, I hope that in spite of everything that went wrong in the first hour, that the second hour... We were able to put this all together and we understand these two progressions in a way 
a fuller way than we've ever understood them. And we may understand this chapter in a way that we've never understood it. I pray that we would give this much thought and meditation because from that comes a greater understanding of these principles. And I pray that if we have any questions or confusion about it, we would discuss it so that we can work on it uh, in further messages. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...